Hey Sassansars, what is up? Today I'm talking to Connor Boyce. He's a CTO and founder of Rella. And the reason I love this episode in particular is it's about building a product. Okay, Connor is a CTO and a technical officer. So he's got a hands-on experience on how they built and launched their MVP to their market. And there are really awesome insights on what kind of lessons they learned and what you can learn from it instead of going through the same challenges again. Just take a look at this 20-second clip before we jump into the full episode. I think we fell into it a little bit as well, where you know, very early on we wanted to release our MVP and we felt that we needed to build every single piece of it to a very high fidelity early on, which again, just kept kind of kicking the ball down the road of, okay, we're going to delay launch, delay launch, delay launch. And then looking back on it, a lot of the features we launched with, not a lot, but there's a couple we launched with that, you know, kind of have withered out over time because as we've learned and actually connected with our users, we realized that those pieces that we thought were valuable and we're working on it, and especially as engineers, you know, we want to build cool things. So when we build this, we're like, oh, this is super cool. They're going to love this. And it turns out the only person that liked it was you. I personally believe building an MVP is an art of itself. I mean, comparing to how much we build ourselves. Let's jump straight into this episode right after this 30 second sponsor segment. This episode is sponsored by the SaaS Insiders Studio. We help SaaS founders build their minimum viable products, MVPs, launch quickly, find a product market fit, and grow from there. SaaS Insider Studio works with non-technical founders that are on the pre-seed or seed stage to help them execute on their product vision. To learn more, go to my LinkedIn profile that you can find in the description to this episode and shoot me a direct message there. All right, let's jump straight into today's episode. SaaS Insiders, I welcome you to this episode of our show today. Today I'm joined, I'm joined by Connor Boyce, the founder and the CTO of company Rella. Today we want to talk about his incredible journey with his co-founder on how Rella started, how they built the MVP, where they are right now, and what are the lessons learned? What are the experiences that Connor can share with you, SaaS founders, so that you can grow as well? With that said, Connor, I welcome you to our show. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here and uh, happy to have a conversation. For those who might not know you yet, if you could give maybe one or two minute introduction on, of who the Connor is, where you're coming from, and what you're working on right now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm currently based down in Miami with one of my other, one of my other co-founders. Our entire team met as undergraduates at North Carolina State University in Raleigh, North Carolina. And yeah, Rella started out as an idea. One of our co-founders is a full-time content creator herself. And I was running a software consultancy with our other co-founder separately. And we all met just through mutual friends who Natalie came with an idea. She saw a need in this industry she'd been in for 10 to 15 years. And there was not really any tools out there that were giving her, her as a content creator really what she needed to run and manage her business effectively. So after about six, seven months of contracting, we decided to kind of go into, into business full-time building this company, which again, as you had mentioned, Rella, we are a creator productivity tool. We, our goal is to give those that might not really know how to grow on social media or 
know how to really access the power of social media, giving them a tool and a, a suite of tools rather to organize all of their content, stay consistent across all platforms and really keep track of all the little, all the details that go into growing social media that I think a lot of people don't understand actually exist. You know, I myself just seeing the, the whole inside world of social media it is quite wild how much work goes into it. And being such a new industry, there was no, again, no tools truly tailored or created by a content creator for content creators in the early pre-monetization stage. So we've been working on it for the past 18 months. We have six full-time people now. We've we've grown slow and steady, try to be you know smart and strategic about growth. And yeah, here we are, 2022, about almost two years since founding. That's a really great uh, pace. I know we talked with you off the air for a second about how some startups grow too quickly. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Like, what's the problem with growing too quickly? And why do you think like the pace that you're taking is, is optimal? I think there are too many unknowns early on and then too many unknown variables within the company and who you're building for and what you're building and what your true purpose is as a company. And with all of those unknowns, the more variables you add in terms of people that you need to provide some sort of direction to makes it even that much harder. Because now, not only are you deciding the direction to take your company, you have to make sure that you have everybody else is doing work. I mean, you don't actually have to make sure they're doing work, but then you're just having you know, people sitting around not contributing, as well as the fact that I think early on in this stage, early on in the stage of any company, it is most vital to have your early employees be really into the, or really bought into the vision, right? Because it's super early on and the company is very small and we're all, you know, con- everybody's talking to each other. We don't have, you know, the stages of management that larger companies do. So that level of interconnectivity and camaraderie, and again, really just believing in the vision and wanting to build a product for, um, you know, who we're building for and making a difference also, again, gets, gets much harder as teams grow. And it's all learning experience as well. It's, it's easier to learn and make mistakes and move quickly with a smaller group of people and kind of grow organically. As we've grown over the past two years, it's been referrals from other startups or somebody reaches out to us uh, or things like that where it kind of just happens naturally over time or we're buried in work and we need somebody to, to lighten the load a little bit. We'll look to bring somebody else on the team. Speaking of your growth, I think 2020 is the year that you started Rella, right? Yep. A lot of times in most of SaaS insiders, they're curious about the MVP stage. How do you go from the idea Basically, like I have the idea, I need to build an MVP to validate to the point where it's on the market and you start collecting feedback. How did you make this happen? How much time did it take for you to build an MVP with your team? I know a lot of founders don't have the luxury of having technical co-founder, but in, from your perspective, like how did that go? And what are the things that you think you wanted to do differently or maybe some general advice for other founders to follow? Absolutely. Yeah, no. I- I completely agree. I think a lot of people look to build too early on without enough of the uh, the validation of the idea and of the market. And I don't remember who, who said it, but there's that famous quote out there of doing things that don't scale early on and, and doing things very manually just to validate that there is a need for your product. And I had mentioned off air, we got very, very lucky with our team early on. Myself, our other co-founder, Nick, we're both technical co-founders. We had gone to school together, known each other for years. And, you know, we got really lucky because the idea came from an industry expert. So Natalie, our other co-founder, so three of us, had been in it for 10 years and really felt the pain and really wanted a better product for that. So we had the industry knowledge and we were lucky enough to have the manpower early on. And 
you know, we all went on the, the ramen diet and worked side jobs early on to, to build. But I definitely do think that we could have done a better job early on really connecting with our potential users and being more clear about who the product's for and why we're building it, especially in the early stages, because I think a lot of people, a lot of other founders and people I've talked to that might be thinking about starting a company, just focus on the uh, how many people can I get on my product as quick as possible. Um, where, you know, in my opinion, the MVP stage is all about getting 100, 200 fanatic people on your product or on your, or believing in your vision that would be willing to tell their friends about it or have a conversation with you. And there's really nothing more valuable in the early stages than getting on the phone with a potential user and just picking their brain, getting their critique. Especially, I think we fell into it a little bit as well, where, you know, very early on, we wanted to release our MVP and we felt that we needed to build every single piece of it to a very high fidelity early on, which again, just kept kind of kicking the ball down the road of, okay, we're going to delay launch, delay launch, delay launch. And then looking back on a lot of the features we launched with, not a lot, but there's a couple we launched with that, you know, kind of have withered out over time because as we've learned and actually connected with our users, we realized that those pieces that we thought were valuable and we're working on it, and especially as engineers, you know, we want to build cool things. So when we build this, we're like, oh, this is super cool. They're going to love this. And it turns out the only person that liked it was you. It's really, yeah, making sure you're launching with something very lean and very focused on your sole purpose. And again, doing things that don't don't scale. I think one of the greatest uh, examples of, you know, finding out what your audience wants is the PayPal story. Like uh, back in the days when Elon was also building it, he had his grand vision of building this like bunch of financial tools, a lot of financial tools, super complex. And people said like, well, it's kind of complicated. We kind of don't need it. But, you know, yeah. sending money via email is cool. Yeah. So it's yeah. actually like kind of side feature. That was kind of side feature actually became what, what the business was at that day. So if you were to go back in time, Connor, when you said connecting with your audience on a deeper level, what are the things that you would be doing if you would be a bit more specific? Like, would you do some kind of interviews with your users and what kind of questions you would be asking them to, to find out like what we should be building for them? Yeah, I think I think interviews is important. I also think it's really just going out and uh, in, our, in our case, it was a little different, but going out and seeing, so say if you're solving a problem, for example, I just finished reading a book, I'm you know, the founder of Nest, Tony Fidel, his book Build, talking about just almost going out and seeing people interact with the thing you're trying to solve in the wild, because you introduce a level of uh, skewing the experiment as soon as you get on an interview with somebody, because the fact that they're on that interview means they either care enough or there's some incentivization for them to be talking to you. So a good product interview or user interview is kind of a, a delicate balance between asking leading questions and asking questions that will give you know true answers. And I think the big thing is just asking open-ended enough questions that allows them to express their frustration. And then as list, as you're listening to users' frustration, start to maybe guide them towards where your solution comes into that frustration, whether it be, you know, a painkiller or a vitamin in terms of, you know, product. I think another huge thing is making sure very early on understanding and being comfortable with the fact that not everybody will see your vision and you are not building for everybody. You're building for these people that feel this problem acutely enough to, again, be talking to you and buy your product, which, again, I think we fell into that early on where we wanted to appeal to creators of all sizes. We, you know, we wanted to go from people just starting out, they don't know how to post on Instagram to the people making millions of dollars a year. And as we grew and as we continue to talk, the people that really need us are the early stage creators. So it's, 
it's a constant journey. Interesting. I, I also find a lot of founders and me myself when I was co-founding a, a SaaS startup is trying to be like as broad as possible, as many features as possible. But you kind of quickly <laughs> yeah. realize that like 90% of your revenue comes like from 20% of your like most raving fans who are just doing that. And the rest of them are just like complaining because they're not a good fit. By like trying to build for everybody, you end up building for nobody. One thing you mentioned is interviews are more like incentivized, but when it comes to going and seeing how they use it in the wild, did you find it, did you find a situation where people found something in your product confusing or like not working as expected, but you thought it's like, it's intuitive? One thing I, I see in like founder syndrome is because they're so close to a product because they're working on it like for two years. For them, it's like super obvious. This is what it should be. But when they're yeah. stupid, like, I don't get it. A lot of times I hear this feedback. I wanted to know what's, what's, what was your experience with that? I think very early on, which we absolutely have seen it because like you said, I mean, you, it, your product is your baby, right? I mean, you see it every day. You, you dream about it. You, you think about it every second of every day. And then as soon as somebody comes on and experiences that little bit of friction, you, almost, you really don't understand why. But very early on, it was, it was kind of balancing a, a frustration and why do you not understand this with then understanding that it wasn't isolated to just a couple users and that over time, Trying to get better, especially as a founding member and you know somebody that's in the product every day, to take a step back and look at the product, try your best to look at the product with fresh eyes, because everybody that uses the product for the first time is, you know, they're using it for the first time. They have not, they're not in it every day. You know, one of the, the greatest things we did was after we found these points of friction, we would pretty much just, you know, either on a call or in person, you know, have somebody download the app. They really say nothing and just kind of watch them interact with it. And see where, you know, where they would pause or where they were confused, because especially with you know early stage companies where we're at trying to find trying to find product market fit, the audience we're attracting is kind of the early adopters, the innovator type person, where they're okay with bugs and things like that. But as soon as you get into the early majority of your audience, the slightest point of friction, they're gonna, you know, kind of roll off your product. It's really been a learning experience there for simplifying and making things more intuitive than we working on the product would initially have thought it needed to be. Connor, I know we talked about this before, but to my understanding, your company has secured the pre-seed funding stage. Yes. What do you think the, the objectives for Rela at this stage? And what do you think you will need to accomplish to go into the seed round? So the initial raise was to really just personnel and making sure we can continue building our product and continue on, on the vision. And where we need to be to, you know, continue to grow and, and, you know, maybe raise the next round, seed round, series A further on is steady and consistent growth over time and retention of users over a longer period of time. Because we're a productivity tool, we're not necessarily an open everyday application. That's not even necessarily our goal. We just want to be a consistent use, maybe open once a week, a couple of times a month, but over a consistent long period of time. So as long as those metrics continue and, you know, the features we put out are driving greater adoption of, you know, the creators we're targeting for, not to say that we're not welcoming really anybody on the platform, but as long as we have that acute vision of building these products for these users at this point in time, and you know, we're seeing a growth of that demographic, we'll be on the, the right track. Well, obviously the ramen noodle diet has to end at some point, right? So <laughs> at some point, the company has to, it has to, it has to fund I'm kind of curious. So you mentioned the metrics for basically retention so that people come back at least every week, not a daily basis. What are the other things like company-wise, maybe product-wise, 
Is there, are there any internal achievements you think you would need to, to do? Maybe something in your processes and your organization, something that you think you need to be working on? Absolutely. I think one thing starting out when it was just us three was that there was should be very little process involved. And that has been a huge learning experience. And it's taking advantage of, of tools as well. Like we are, we are avid ClickUp users. That's how we organize all of our tasks. We're also very avid Slack users. That's how we communicate internally as a team. So I think it's making use of tools that are out there and understanding the balance at this stage between internal structure with internal freedom because the balance advantage of being this small is you're able to move fast, break things, you know, the whole Facebook motto. But at the same time, there comes a point where if there's no structure, then you have no idea what people are working on. So, I mean, we, even with, with six people, six full-time people, we've, we've needed to really start implementing some more structure and making sure that everybody understands why they're doing what they're doing and how it contributes to the kind of greater objectives. I think, yeah, internally, a goal is to make sure that at all times, everybody understands how their work is contributing to the mission, opposed to just here are some tasks, knock off some tasks. I think it's of the utmost importance for everybody to understand why the work that they're doing matters. We are also leveraging ClickUp in our, in our systems for over like three years as well. And I kind of relate to that. We started actually using that after we hit like four to five people in the company. We felt like now, you know, the spreadsheet and just like my notepad is not, is not a good place to store information yeah. maybe like skype also is not a good uh, you know file holder maybe we need a yep. github repository yeah. um, i think same things i'm curious about is as you grow your team probably the responsibilities and roles in the company are shifting as well because like when there are two people in a company it means that everything is done by three people so if it's yeah. engineering testing launching if it's marketing sales either one of you the three one of three of you is doing that right mm -hmm. as you grow did you see that there is some shifts of responsibility? Maybe you started doing other things in your company. I'm curious to learn how, how the team structure and kind of um, organization changes as, as, as companies growing. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% have changed uh, over the past year as we, as we bring people on. And I think the, the most drastic change is going from just the initial founding team to the first couple um, outside hires just because early on everything again you said everybody's wearing every hat you're doing everything and everything is your responsibility so i think the first step to growing is being okay trusting somebody else to do that work and if you you know hire the right people on your team trusting that they'll know what to do and i think the, at least a natural progression i've seen is as you know we grow especially you know introducing more layers of, of management because once you have more people people need to manage people and stepping away from as you know as an individual contributor early on you know in the technical being comfortable stepping away from that a little bit and working more on the people side of things and the organizational side of things. And I think it's always in flux. I think it will continue to be in flux. It's just, I think the most important thing is being comfortable knowing that it will change over time uh, for the better. I mean, it's always, always for the better, but yeah, definitely changes as there's more, when there's more moving parts, there's a need for more people to manage how the moving parts are interacting with each other, opposed to just on working on the thing. A lot of times, especially when there is like a solo founder, you had the privilege of having three of you, but if it's like a solo founder and they just start hiring for their team, they usually find themselves doing things they're not experts in. So mm -hmm. for example, I have a friend who is non-technical, but he was running basically scrum meetings. He was a product manager, product owner for the first maybe one year of like of his SaaS. And he didn't like it at all. Like <laughs> he needs to be in a place where he markets, makes connections, promotes, but he's doing those weekly weekly sprints that he's doing like daily calls 
and he kind of feels a bit miserable on this role but that's like but I'm a founder, I have to do this because I run my team, right? So we just got to yeah. and say like, man, there's a, there, there's a role that you're doing. This hat yeah. is called like product owner, product manager. You got to delegate that. So it's, it's, it's really fun to see how sometimes, especially on the small team, you don't really realize like how many hats you're actually wearing. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. It, might, it might be so much more productive if you, if you just focus on things that, that actually yeah. scale, you know, scale your business. Things that have been second nature for the longest time, you don't even realize that can be... You, that's also the thing. Some people don't want to ask for help, especially solo founders. You know, early on, they the whole weight of everything is on their shoulders, so it's their responsibility. I think again, letting go of that and being being comfortable delegating work is big. But I think you know, to your friend's point, there's also I think there's there's value in doing those things that aren't fun and aren't in your wheelhouse because I think it's the only way to grow. I think doing things you love is just as important as doing things you don't. In terms of the learning aspect of it, just doing things you don't love, you're learning what you don't want to do and growing from that. So it's definitely a balance. Oh, absolutely. You have you have to know what you're doing before you can delegate that. So yeah, I'm not saying he shouldn't learn this. And what I'm saying yeah, is like no, yeah, one yeah, year, yeah. two years, you know, it kind of you have a bit of a like shoulder on your left, so you're gonna get a bad posture every time. <laughs> yeah. so you need to kind of learn to, to balance things out. One thing you mentioned is the work, the book build. In the beginning that that you were using for inspiring when it comes to building products launching them what would be the other resources that inspired you and like turned you into you know, a better version of entrepreneur that you're right now so that might be like books inspirational speakers communities what are the things or people that impacted you think the most for you for the past yeah. couple of years Absolutely. I mean, I think I think the first and foremost in terms of support and inspiration was, you know, my family very early on because being graduating just from college, trying to jump into something like this, requiring a little additional support. So extremely lucky to to have that. But in terms of and this is something I just recently picked up in the last year, has been reading and reading other people's stories. I have found unbelievable benefit in hearing other people's struggles and almost tracking parallels between these different books. I mean, every company has their own unique problems, but a lot of them follow kind of the same basic principles of you know poor decisions made and then lessons learned. So yeah, reading has been an absolutely incredible thing and something that I've been trying to do a lot of them. My goal is a book a week this year. I'm on track right now, but we'll see. We'll see if I'm able to do it, but keeping up with the day-to-day stuff. But reading has been huge. And then, yeah, finding other talking to other founders is also a, an immensely helpful thing. And, you know, one thing I learned early on was that the startup community, as big as it is, it is pretty small in terms of a lot of people know a lot of people and everybody is so willing to talk. That was a huge learning point for me was that if you reach out to somebody on Twitter, LinkedIn, or really, you know, anywhere, people are so willing to just give you 30 minutes of their time to, to talk. And offer advice, exchange stories, provide resources, things like that. So that's been massive, talking to other founders and, and getting to know other people and understanding that when it feels like everything's going wrong and the world is burning and your company's failing and you talk to somebody else that's like, oh yeah, you know, I felt that three months ago and I'm fine now. I think things like that are extremely motivational oh, and helpful as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. We talk almost every, every episode about it. Like when, when it's the direst time, it's really hard to be objective because you're so close to a problem, you don't see it. But if you were to look at someone else, you would say like, oh, that's just fine. It's just a stage because you see from a distance, you're not attached. But when you're in it, like it's it's painful. It's really painful. Yeah. I th- think when it comes to startup community in general, I think we're a bit biased because we're in it. So it feels like it's huge. It's like 
everyone's in, in startup, especially in SaaS startups. But yeah. actually, if, if you look outside, I think someone was giving me the metric. It's like the audience of SaaS founders is roughly 35,000 people in US. Really? So yeah, so that's, that's not a lot. No, it, no, not a lot. I would have thought a lot more. But, but, but if, you, if, you, if you think about it, like if you're in this, it, it sounds like every second person you speak to is a SaaS founder, right? So <laughs> yeah. We'll have this kind of bias. Speaking about books, now that you're reading one book a week, that's perfect. What do you think, in addition to build that you recommended, what are the couple more books that you found like really transformational for your understanding of how to run this company? I would say the most incredible book to date that's been at least the most inspirational for me was Simon Sinek's Start With Why. That was a, a huge, huge inspiration because that was the book, I think, where we all were like, let's take a step back from building and producing and putting things out there and do a little reflection as to why are we here? What are we doing? What's the purpose of this? What do we, what do we want to get out of this? Who are we helping? Why are we helping them? Uh, so I think that was the big, almost light bulb book for me. You need to have a drive because there will be the hard times and there will be the good times. And the only thing that, in my opinion, will get you through the hard times is being confident in the vision and confident you're making a difference and confident that you're on the right path and building for the right people. So that was been, that's been an incredible one. I'm reading Shoe Dog right now, The Founding Story by Phil Knight, the Nike founder. That one has been awesome. The Messy Middle was an incredible one. I'm not sure who wrote that one. I have, I have so many. I, I can send you a list out. There's, there's so many off the top of my head. But I think especially as a technical person, I don't. I didn't put enough emphasis or value on learning and reading the business side or really just the that side of things or reading other people's stories. I was always so focused on you know, writing better code, making things faster, building a bigger infrastructure that can scale more. And I think taking a step back from that and seeing this side of the, the house and reading all these different stories has definitely benefited that side as well, the technical side. That's fascinating. I also, one of the recommendations you mentioned was start with why. I think I even saw quite a few, quite a few talks Simon does on stage about this yeah. concept. So it's not just in the book, he's act actively promoting like this whole concept of starting with why. Yeah, his TED talk has millions and millions of views on youtube which i i would recommend that video to anybody as well cool we'll put that in the description into this episode as well just curious like do you do you like physically read books or do you do audiobooks i physically read them i'm not able to focus and pay attention if i'm just listening to an audiobook i'm a big avid podcast listener but if i'm if i'm reading a book i, I do have a kindle so i kind of switch between the virtual books and the real books there's something there's just something about holding a book in your hand that i like to make sure maybe every every other every a couple books is an actual paper book. And it's nice having books on the bookshelf. With a Kindle, you have all the books just in that little, in that little box. Especially, yeah, especially when you put them on the background and then that, that's like a professional. Yeah, it looks smart. Yeah, you can't, I can't put the 30 books I have in my Kindle up on the wall. That's, that's hilarious. Let's say if you were to, to, go back and to go back in time and everyone has a different answer to that and there's no correct answer, but if you had an opportunity okay. to give like a small, like one sentence advice to a younger self, so let's say there was some like a Connor in 2020. It's just the beginning of Rella, and you just can have like, deliver one sentence, one message to, to to Connor. What do you think you would you would tell him from your learning experiences that you think would would make a journey even better? Ask more questions. I think would be a big thing, and always I, I found value in almost assuming I I know less than I do because that forces me to ask more questions. If that makes sense, and almost being like going out of my way to seek more knowledge and more opinions and more perspectives because it's very easy to get caught up in your own perspective. And again, you're in the product every day. So 
it's very, very easy to get focused on the fact that this is the way we do things. This is the correct way. This is the way I think we should do them. But kind of constantly questioning that, asking more questions would be the biggest piece of advice. Awesome. Awesome. A lot of times people people start challenging the questions. Like, I don't want to go to travel in time because then I wouldn't be the person I am today. You know, so <laughs> yeah. a lot of time, time travel restrictions. Yeah. No, I would definitely uh, just tell myself to ask more questions. I definitely wouldn't change anything because to your point, got me to where I am today, but might be a little bit more knowledgeable in different areas if I'd asked a couple more questions and assumed I knew a little less. That's awesome. Always, always being curious. That, that's what got me where I am today. So that, that, that resonates a lot. Resonates a lot. Before we conclude our episode today, Connor, let's say if the listener, the Sassan Sager who's listening, could only pick like one major idea from this episode, like one big thing. If there's only th- one thing that they could take out of this conversation, the most important thing, what that would be. I don't know if you talked about it, but I, I wish somebody had told me if you have an idea, write it down and pursue it and run it by other people. I think so many people have ideas and just think immediately, I can't do that. I didn't like, I didn't study coding in school. I taught myself how to do it. I mean, it's just, I think just pursuing would be the biggest piece. You have an idea, pursue it. So Sanders, I want you to pick this up so you don't forget. If you have your ideas, you need to write them down and you run it by your people that you trust because a lot of great ideas are there. They're just left in your minds in the shower thoughts and uh, yeah. the, world deserves, yeah. the, the world deserves to see them on Sunday. What would be the concluding thoughts for today? What would be the note you would like to end our conversation today on? I don't, I'm not sure. I think it's just, it's always a journey and there are a lot of ups and a lot of downs and the downs can feel uh, unsurmountable and then the ups can feel like not a lot, but it's really just taking all the victories, no matter how small for, for what they are. I mean, knowing that as much from the outside looking in, it might look like a, a smooth ride to, to people again, like you said, we're outside or looking to break into it. Very, very hard work. And it's a roller coaster, but worth it. Very worth it. Connor, boys, everyone. Connor, I thank you so much for participating in today's episode. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Sass and Sargis will be leaving the contact details. Connor will let us in the description of this episode. Maybe it's LinkedIn, maybe it's email. We'll figure this out so that you can connect with them, add value, or maybe ask for advice. I'm, I'm sure as a part of Sass and Sargis, Connor will be there. Absolutely. Sass and Sargis, we'll see you in the next episodes.